the ability to reflect on the present, on experience or thoughts, emotions, feelings, sensations. One of the aspects of being a human being is that human beings have this ability. The forms that we have, you know, uh, tend to influence consciousness. So even though uh, a rat and a human being, the consciousness is the same, the form is different. So that the form of a rat influences consciousness. Or an elephant, or a flea, or whatever. Consciousness is not, is not like a separate thing, a flea's consciousness and my consciousness, as if it was something different. But recognize that the, the myriad forms that arise and cease, just in your own uh, consciousness, how you change according to what you attach to. The, the body, the age of the body, the appearance, the gender, vanity, you know, whether you like or don't like your body, seeing it in terms of, of race or whatever, another, whatever way we create ourselves, our self-worth or lack of self-worth. And because we have retentive memory and ability to think, and because we have this memory that we retain, we can have language where we can create even more memories, memories of 50 years ago or whatever for myself, 60 years ago, 70 years ago. You know, I doubt if a rat can do that or a flea. It has intelligence and memory, but not, not uh, doesn't, hasn't developed uh, language. So I can preserve uh, things that happened to me in childhood, pleasant or painful, and remember them at 74 years old. And that does influence the conscious moment. Just like my explanations of Lieutenant Harris in the Navy when I was 21 or 22. Unpleasant memories. I can still remember. You know, so that, that is called retentive memory. There's a, most of what happened when I was 21 I don't remember. You know what I had for lunch on February 26, 1955. <laughs> Something like that. But I do remember, uh, you know, extreme streams of experience like success, winning the prize, <clears throat> winning the contest, or uh, unpleasant memories being humiliated or mistreated and so forth. So this is, we remember, we reflect on that memory arises and ceases. So in this five khanda formula, you know, the sanya khanda, that's when attachment to sanya we, determines how we, how we manifest in the present. Not physically, but emotionally. But we can observe that, we can reflect on it, it's like this. It's not about right and wrong anymore, or healthy or unhealthy, or whatever, it's like this. So remembering Lieutenant Harris 50 years ago is like this. If I didn't reflect on the nature of the phenomena, then I could easily, at 70, 
three, wind myself up into, you know, anger and resentment about something that happened 50 years ago. <laughs> and you can see it in old people. Sometimes they'll, they'll go on, uh, you know, about the loss or the mistreatment or whatever that they experienced when they were young. Child abuse or lack of parental love or failing the exam or whatever. I mean, it's, uh, and one can feel just as angry 50 years later. And that's due to attachment to the memory. Not that we get rid of the memory, but the, the attachment to it, seeing that, be reflecting on the suffering of attaching to memory doesn't mean I don't remember, but it means I know what memory is. There's wisdom there. There's an understanding of what memory is and how it, if and if I, if I allow a memory from 50 years ago to take over my consciousness, I feel angry, resentful. So this is investigation. Yoni so manasikara, this uh, getting to the root, to the source of everything. The source is pure consciousness then. So the consciousness then is not, is a human form, human body, human species. This form then, uh, Buddhist terms, the advantage or the great gift of being having a human birth is uh, to be able to, uh, we have this ability to reflect, to witness, to observe the way it is. But not in terms of cultural prejudices or religious prejudices or class, race, gender prejudices, but from the purity of universal intelligence through consciousness which is non-personal, non-self. So the universe is the intelligent universe. It's not just a, what's the nature of the universe? How did it begin? And when we try to conceive of the universe from the self position from not understanding anything but merely operating from assumptions, scientific assumptions or assumptions about evolution or creation. You know, the, should, is Darwin, should we teach Darwinian evolution in schools to Christians who believe in God created the universe in six days? <clears throat> the, the various, these are views and opinions. And one seems reasonable, the other seems mythical, you know, like something from a different age where tribal almost. Go up the Amazon River to some lost tribe, they might believe God created the universe in six days. <laughs> or three days or whatever. <laughs> quibble about the, the, how many days it is. But this is, uh, this, this is what it is in terms of the present. Is a, it's a sankhara, isn't it? Sanya sankhara, whether we believe in, in, that God created the universe in six days or didn't. It's still coming from Sakya Ditti, Silabhata Bharamasa, Vichikecha. These are the, these are the, the conditions that influence our conscious interpretation of, of life that we're experiencing. The interpretation of myself as a person. If I just come from the personality view, from Sakya Ditti, and my cultural conditioning, and memories and language and thought, then I see the universe from a very, in a very personal way. I interpret it from those personal perceptions that I favor, that I would tend to incline to. I wouldn't intend to incline to personally toward 
God created the universe in six days. I'd incline towards uh, Darwinian style. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's, uh, that's a personal choice. And then believing in God or disbelieving in God. Or however, whatever way we, we create ourselves as a, as a rational scientist or a, or a religious uh, mystic. You know, these are perceptions, personal inclinations, karmic maybe. We have our tendencies or we incline to certain activities or attitudes individually. You know, we're not all just copies of the same form. You know, emotionally and karmically, individually, we have different perceptions, different reactions to experience. You know, so that's why the world is what we create. We each live in our, we create our own world. You wonder why human beings have trouble living with each other, because we all live in different worlds. Until we yeah, see the end of the world. Now, Ajahn Chah used to like talk about the end of the world. To a Western mind, that sounds like annihilation. The end of the world is nigh. And <laughs> but then you, the whole thing with Buddhism, because of its reflective style, it's uh, observing. What do we mean by the world? Is the world that I live in on a personal, from the personal perception, is it the same as the world you live in? Some of it is similar. We call this Amravati and so forth. But, but on an emotional level, you know, we, we have certain agreements culturally or, you know, on the religious conventions and that, but, they, but on the emotional level, is where we feel life, where we are hurt, where we feel happy or unhappy. And that world, emotional world, is different, isn't it? It's not it's going to be the same world that, that each one of us li is living in in this present moment. But the world, the emotional world that I'm experiencing now is like this. Now this is stepping out of the personal references and attachments and assumptions to pure awareness. So then pure awareness, consciousness, wisdom, sati-sampachanya, satipanya, mindfulness, this is the ability to reflect and see things as they are. So the Buddha pointed to the way it is that is not judgmental. Is the condition, there's the unconditioned, therefore there's escape from the condition. There is Nibbana. The gate to the deathless are open. Buddha Dhamma Sangha, these are not to be seen in personal, through personal perceptions. They're, t they're uh, expedient means also. But in order to reflect, then using even language or words that we're not supposed to claim as personal attainments or see, interpret through Sakyaditi, Silabhattabhaya So in the Buddha Dhamma, we're not to, my form of Buddhism, what I think Buddha taught and, and my belief in Buddhism and what I personally prefer in Buddhism, and then uh, this is uh, not this is not encouraged to to talk like that to make Buddhism some kind of personal quality or condition. Therefore, when it becomes I have attained, I'm a Sotapanna or things like I'm an Arahant. This this doesn't really make sense, except it does show kind of ignorance of claiming something on a, in a, through a personal perception. 
Could my personality ever attain stream entry or arahantship or Buddhahood? Can anyone's personality? It's always changing. When you observe how emotional life functions, it's dependent on so many conditions. You know, emotions are untrustworthy because they're so dependent on on other things, you know, they, you can't sustain uh, the emotion for very long. It'll, it's in it's uh, in this its nature's to change. Anicca, dukkha, nata. So that's where the bhatibhata is. Uh, there's the bariyati, the statements that we can, we can attach to personally, anything intellectual, rational, conditioned, and attached to it, it's still attaching to Buddhist teachings. It's certainly, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not like taking a stand that you shouldn't attach to it. But the point of the teaching, of Dhamma teaching, is to observe attachment. It isn't, it isn't an, a teaching that it encourages to, to attach, to believe, but to examine, look into. And that's what Sati Sampachanya means. Sati Panya. When I say Bhutang Ternangachami, it's not. I'm not using this as, uh, to reinforce Sakyaditi. I take refuge in the Buddha as my refuge, and things like I could make it into Sakyaditi. It's how I, how I want to use this particular form, Bhutang Saranangachami. How am I going to use that? It's words, Pali words. I could grasp it in a personal way. Me, Ajahn Sumedho, I take refuge in the Buddha. I'm not saying that that's wrong, but that, that could be Sakyaditi still, couldn't it? Sila Bhattabharamasa. Or reflecting on what is refuge in Buddha, taking refuge in Buddha, this is what, what is it, the reality of taking refuge in Buddha, when it's just, not just a ceremony, a memory, a form of attachment? And so then this is reflecting on the way it is, that refuge in Buddha is awakened consciousness. In which it, it allows this being here to observe the personality, the sense of I am Arjun Samedo and so forth, from the Puto position, then I have a perspective on what I think I am, what I believe, my emotional habits, my fears, desires, anger, jealousies, resentments, anxieties, all the rest. There's perspective uh, which is Buddha is not a judge, is not a, a, a critic. So it's not, not about saying how you should, you've been a bad boy, Sumato, today, and uh, you've got to, I've got to punish you, slap your hand. That's one way of looking at, at, at in religion, isn't it? That, I was brought up in, the, in that form of religion where you, God punishes you for being naughty, for disobeying the commandments, so, and rewards you for being good. So on a personal level, that's how my personality tends to operate. It's a condition by reward and punishment from the cultural conditioning. That's where I can see these conditions that have uh, accumulated. Where I can put them into perspective without judging or blaming any, anybody or anything, but observing their nature, what arises ceases.
So you're putting it into context of Dhamma rather than in, I shouldn't, my parents, uh, they, they gave me this wrong information, it's their fault, or Christianity is wrong, or going on. That's still Sakyaditi, isn't it? It's not about blaming, but of recognizing what conditioning really is and the culture that one, uh, one comes from. Ethnic assumptions, class or race, racial assumptions, nationalistic assumptions that one acquires through after birth. So that can be, that's, that can be put in these three fetters context. Sakya Diti Silabhata Bharamasa Vichikecha. Because on a personal reaction, it's tending to feel I'm going to be punished for disobeying or doing something wrong. I'm going to have to pay for my faults, for what I do wrong. And I should be rewarded for my virtuousness and goodness. That's fair, isn't it? To be rewarded for being good, for, for not rocking the boat, for obeying the rules, for not being disruptive, not lying, not killing, not drinking whiskey, having sex at the appropriate socially approved uh, ways, uh, all these kind of things. Then I'm then I should be rewarded for virtuousness and goodness. And that's still Sakyaditi, isn't it? Even though I'm not against being rewarded for virtuousness, but still uh, pointing to Sakyaditi and insidiousness of it. This sense of me and mine and self and judgment, reward and punishment. And then people can worry. I've seen people, you know, in, in old age worry about because they did something when they were young that was, not, was immoral. And therefore, they've worried when they die, they're going to have to pay some terrible price for it. These are like ghosts that haunt consciousness. Well, I have to pay. I have to you know, work it out some way in purgatory or hell maybe uh, for telling a lie or for having sex before I was married or something like that. <laughs> now that's not, doesn't seem to be such a problem, but it used to be. It used to be in the old Christian view that sex out of marriage would be punished severely. This was a way of controlling people, fear, reward for virtuousness and punishment for uh, disobedience. So notice how that conditions the Sakya Ditti, the sense of your self-worth. Now this is reflecting on the way it is. All conditions are impermanent. This is not a judgment about conditioned phenomena. Uh, because conditions are impermanent doesn't mean they're worthless or no good, does it? It's, uh, impermanence is just a characteristic. It's not a quality of, of good or bad, right or wrong. It's, but it is a, what they call characteristic of uh, a common characteristic of conditions, of phenomena. So that one is, is looking at phenomena in terms of its characteristic rather than in terms of its quality. And that takes uh, this trust in this awareness because we tend to judge conditioned phenomena. If we're programmed, conditioned to make judgments about conditioned phenomena, about morality, about uh, what's right and wrong, good and bad, about politics, about ideals, about all kinds of everything. You know, the, 
how things should or shouldn't be. And conditioned phenomena includes everything from subtle mental conditions to uh, physical, the physical body, the rocks, the mountains, the oceans, the planets, sun and moon. So this is the, the kind of magic of being human is that from this little body here is, you can reflect on the nature of the universe. Not through cultural assumptions or personal preferences but through developing or cultivating awareness in which consciousness then is, we're not projecting into our consciousness the, the conditions that we're attached to, but we're able to be fully awakened and aware to the way it is, to see conditioned phenomena as it is. So uh, a good condition, beautiful condition is like this, a nasty, ugly condition is like this. But even avoid putting things like beautiful and nasty on it, you know, because that's a judgment, human judgment. It's like this. So then the, the one is, is this pure consciousness is not knowing, is not interested in, in the quality anymore, but in the reality, the present. So beauty then is received but not claimed, not judged or um, ugliness is received but not rejected and uh, hated. So that emotionally we're, we're learning to find that balance, that e equanimity, upeka, a balance, a stillness of pure conscious awareness that that is ever present, but which is lost when we are caught in Sakiditi Sila Bhattaparamasa Vichikita. Then we're all over the place. This opportunity we have is uh not many people have such opportunity. <laughs> so it gives me a lot of katanyu uh, gratitude. You know, we're given this, this opportunity to reflect, observe, to investigate. Encourage with the whole kind of environment, atmosphere, Ambiance is to is to develop awareness, to awaken. It's encouragement, not a matter of commanding or forcing anyone, because not about reward and punishment or personal. Uh, we don't want to to you know we're not making it in some kind of personal thing. Who's a better meditator and? so forth, and then it becomes Sakyaditi again. Who has the most insight? Who's a stream enterer? Who's a Sakadakami, a once-returner? And who's a non-returner? Are there any Anakamis here? Or Arahants? And then that's Sakyaditi again, isn't it? Where we're taking these poly terms and, and making them personal. And I remember when I first started meditation, I wanted to attain arahantship personally. <laughs> because I'm conditioned for that. You know, you're conditioned in this competitive society where you, you want to be the winner, get the prize. The personality is conditioned for that, for competitiveness, for comparing myself with others. 
And so this is uh, applying that, trying to, to practice anapanasati in order to attain jhanas or attain stream entry. It just didn't work. <laughs> because sometimes I could get states of tranquility where I felt I've attained and then, then the next minute you feel you've lost what you've attained. When you first feel you've attained something, I'm really getting, my practice is really great, I'm getting somewhere now. And then shortly afterwards you say, oh, I've lost it. Too many pressures on me. I need to go to Pupek Mountain where I can be alone and, and get back my practice, my jhanas, because uh, here, you know, there's too much activity, too many people, responsibilities getting in my way. And so I, wanna, I want to uh, go someplace where I don't have responsibilities and, and I can get my concentration together, do my process, and achieve and attain healthy, happy personality, well-balanced, normal person. And I want to be rewarded for my attain. I want to be acknowledged. First American Arahant. And get a Nobel Peace Prize for it. <laughs> That's, uh, that's extreme sakyaditi, isn't it? <laughs> but it, if you reflect, then you can begin to see it. Doing things with sakyaditi, just the result is always dukkha. And then sakyaditi is my modus operandi. I'm practicing meditation for attainment. I'm, you know, I want to become an arahant. I want to, I don't want to be born again into this world. You know, I don't want to have to become a human being again or any other form. I want out of it. I want liberation. And then this is, uh, this is Sakyaditi. Or I could be less obsessed with myself and be more magnanimous. I'm not going to be just an Arahant or anything like that. I'm going to be a Bodhisattva. Because that's inspiring to, to sacrifice personal liberation for the welfare of all sentient beings. That's grand. Till the last blade of grass is enlightened. Taking altruism to its ultimate. Still can be sakyaditi, can't it? So in this uh, form of Sakyaditi, personality view, or Sita Bhattabharamasa, no, it's, it's attachment, blind attachment to forms, to perceptions of self, to ideals, to emotional uh, conditions, emotional habits, identities, and so forth. If we can't see that, if we don't reflect on it and observe it, then we're actually limited always that we reinforce those conditions. So, so the conditions can be very good conditions. Like a bodhisattva is very good, beautiful, magnanimous, grand, kind of uh, altruistic, taking altruism to its ultimate. So it's not a judgment saying it's wrong, but it is what it is. Practicing in order to become a bodhisattva is like this. The sense of me, this person, having to do something to become a bodhisattva, to save all sentient beings, is like this. Or me practicing because I'm fed up with life and want to get out. I've had enough. Don't want to be born again is like this. the ability to reflect, to observe the way it is. 
it's changing, isn't it? Both change. You can't sustain. You can't make yourself willfully become uh, a permanent altruistic state of mind or a permanent negative uh, kind of annihilationist. But if you awaken to that, Sakyatiti Silapata Baramasa, and the fetters, Sanyojanas, what is it that observes the fetters? Is it Ajahn Sameto? Because I've been a monk for 40 years and I can do this? Or is this, you know, for me, the, but putting it in terms, impersonal terms, it's refuge in Buddha, seeing the Dhamma. That's, if, I, if there's an explanation, that's how I would explain it. Because awareness is not personal. You, you create yourself through thinking, through attachment to memory, through identity, through cultural conditioning, through memories and loves and hates and habits. So I listen, the sound of silence, breath, the body. So I'm not just thinking, you know, anything about Sakya Ditti, Silabhata Brahmasa, which I'm not analyzing, because then if it's, it tends to be judgmental then. It tends to get personal, like my practice, my process my achievement, my lack of attainment, my meditation practice. It, it easily, when you try to analyze and try to figure it out analytically through thinking, you get stuck in the same habits, the vortex of samsara. But once you recognize, realize, in the third noble truth, the end of suffering, By letting go of conditioned phenomena, letting it be what it is, then it goes, it's, it changes. And the, the knower, the knowing of change is non-personal. And that very knowing then is the consciousness. If you're unconscious, you don't know anything. <laughs> But consciousness doesn't, is not a judgmental. So it doesn't say good or bad, it's like this. With pure consciousness within the human uh, condition that we find ourselves in, where we tune into pure consciousness and stop creating a world. So if we don't create a world, then there is Dhamma, the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. But even that we let go of. We're not, we're not trying to hold to those percent. Those are merely skillful or expedient means, reminders toward a pure, pure consciousness, which is like nothing. It's like the space in this room, like nothing at all. No boundary, but yet it's recognized. So this is a liberation, isn't it? This is liberation from the whirling conditions of change, the samsara, to the unconditioned. So there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. Therefore, there is an escape. There's a way out of the whirlpool, the birth and death cycles, the relentless, inexorable changingness of conditioned phenomena. And it's just through awakening, isn't it? Through mindfulness, sati sampachanya, sati panya. It isn't dependent upon other conditions, but on you 
learning to trust awareness and to see the to observe the the suffering that you have is due to attachment to memories to identities to conventions to thoughts views and opinions to the assumption you are your body you are this person and not we're not getting rid of it but we're seeing it I can still feel happy or sad or whatever, but there's a knowing of that now that that's stronger than the than the uh, kind of emotional habits that manifest. Because putting it to the test, meditating, in other words, then is testing it out, investigating. You see, you know, it's not just Buddhist theory anymore. It's the reality of now through insight, through your own ability to witness and observe that's a universal rather than a personal. No, no, like the word universe means one complete and whole, where the personality, the individual, is me, you know, and, and, I, and my personality is incomplete. It, it changes according to praise and blame, success and failure, and all that, weather, whether I'm feeling high or low, on, on physical health, whether I'm feeling healthy or sickly. My personality changes. When I'm sick, you know, I don't feel happy. <laughs> Happiness depends on the conditions, where conditions for feeling healthy and everything's going well, and I'm happy. But awareness of unhappiness and happiness, that's the refuge in Bhutto Tamo Sankho. So like the Paticca Samupada, dependent origination, Avicca Bhajya Sankara, Sankara Bhajya Vinyana. Now take that, that's the beginning. We say Avicca, ignorance, the Sankaras, the conditions that affect consciousness. So the Sakyaditi, if I practice with Sakya Ditti as my, my starting point, I'm going to get my practice and get enlightened, then that influences the physical, emotional sankharas that will become conscious. So then there's vinyana, bhajaya, nama rupa, nama rupa, salayatana, patsa, vedana, Dhanha, Ubatan, Bhava, Jati, Jaramarana, Soka Pariteva, Tukatomanasa, Upayasa. That's the, the ending is always dukkha. If we're practicing for Sakya, with Sakyaditi as, you know, without investigating Sakyaditi, that's why people are disappointed after years of meditation out of monastic life because they've never cracked it. Their practice, their monastic life is still based on Sakya Ditti. They don't get what they wanted. So after, you know, years of celibacy and meditation, you can still feel not what I was expecting. And I'm not getting what I wanted. So avicca influences everything. If we come from avicca, if that's our modus operandi, where we where we're coming from in the present, then the result will always be soka parite upayasa. Where if we start from avicca. 
then people start thinking, I'm not enlightened, I don't have vicha, I've got to get it, um, and the teacher says this, and you've got to develop this and do that, and I mean, and still, you know, the, the basic thing has never been really examined. So that's why I keep pointing out to the, the very assumption of a self. Get to know it. I'm not saying you shouldn't have it, but get to know what it is. I am this person who is unenlightened and I've got to practice in order to become enlightened. I mean, that's Sakyaditi. And if that's what I come from and I never see through it, then my result after 40 years of monastic life will be dukkha. Bit of a disappointment. I was expecting to get enlightened. I didn't get what I wanted from the Sakyaditi level. No matter how virtuous and and uh, dedicated I've been over those years, if the beginning point is basically coming from Sakyaditi, examining Sakyaditi, this is scriptural. So what is Sakyaditi? And not, not in terms of definitions in books or finding proper English equivalents, uh, the ego or whatever, but in what you think, what you believe you are, how I see myself right now is like this. For me, my feelings, my views, my body, my life is like this. And so then, uh, then there's a, a, a witnessing. I listen to Sakyaditi. So I can know what it is in, in its magnanimous altruistic forms and in its mean selfish ones or whatever way. Its sense of attainment or lack of attainment, good, bad, best, worst, or whatever. Sakyaditi is all those qualities, isn't it? It changes. It has a quality, a sense of me, separate person, my life, my body, my view, my opinion. Now these are thoughts. Well, when I intentionally think these thoughts, I'm aware of it. I'm not trying to find one permanent thought or one permanent self. But observing the avicca, the ignorance, the self-view, the sakyaditi, I am Ajahn Sumedho. The sense of I am. Or I am not. You know, this is, this is language. This is uh, conditioned phenomena. Language. And then the reflecting. That which is aware of I am. Awareness precedes the thought. The thought, I am, arises and ceases. And when I am has ceased, there's still awareness, consciousness, awareness. So you're noticing this. It's obvious when it's pointed out. There's nothing mystical or subtle about it. It's just not noticed. Because the thinking mind, the personality, depends on conceptual proliferating. What I've done, haven't done, my achievements, attainments, my life, what I think, my feelings, and on and on like this, one can go into an endless tirade of self-views and, and opinions as we see all the time, within ourselves and within others. So that's why pointing out that awareness of that is not personal. It's like this. And it, it, it's nothing in itself, but it's recognizable. You can't define it, 
point to it, but you can know. Because consciousness, vijnana, is knowing. It's intelligence, it's knowing. It's like this. It's where wisdom operates. So investigate that sense. I'm not trying to say you shouldn't have an ego or a sense of personal worth or any. Uh, it's not it's not about denial but of examining looking into the way it is so this sense of i am i've got practice harder in order to become it's not that that's wrong but that is thought isn't it i'm seeing it for what it is not believing just blindly believing and that I am somebody who's got to do something in order to attain something. That's one, the Sakaditi is based on that and believing that scenario. Awareness of that scenario. Seeing it, because this is a very direct knowing. It is what it is. I'm somebody who needs to practice in order to become is like this. And when that, that scenario ceases, there's still awareness, isn't it? Awareness, it's not the something that arises and ceases with the conditions. The conditions arise and cease, but when they've arisen and ceased, then there's still consciousness, still awareness. And it's recognized. We say that cessation. Naroda, you have insight into the end of suffering, end of condition, end of the world. So it's very simple, very ordinary really, it's nothing, nothing absolutely fantastic, but because it isn't outstanding and, and absolutely fantastic, we tend to dismiss it. We're, Maybe you're expecting enlightenment to be some kind of blinding light. Like Paul on the road to Damascus. You fall down on the ground in a fit and are enlightened forevermore. Maybe that's, many people expect enlightenment, the world shaking, the tremors, the earthquakes. Expecting some, some kind of fantastic signs of enlightenment where enlightenment isn't that way. Enlightenment is normal, natural, not fantastic. It's our true nature. It's not, not something uh, that is dependent on, you know, me attaining anything or being anything. So, it's like with Paticca Samupada, Avicca, Putsakyaditi. Sakyaditi affects sankharas. If I come from me and mine, I'm practicing in order to become, that affects everything I do from that point on. You know, how my sitting practice, my Anapanasati, my uh, investigation of Dhamma, it's still interpreted from this, from the avicca or from Sakyaditi. But then if I think I've, I've got to have Sakyaditi first in order to get vicha or let go of Sakyaditi, that's still Sakyaditi. There's no way you can win on that level by trying to think it out rationally with Sakyaditi as, as your refuge, what you start from, from the belief that you actually are a person. Where if you start from awareness, mindfulness of Sakyaditi, So being aware of Sakyaditi is not Sakyaditi. 
That's in bicha. You begin to recognize bicha or pure consciousness. It's like this. And then in the Niroda side of Paticca Samuppada, wherever there's awareness, then the, the whole thing collapses. Sankara Niroda, Sankara Niroda, Vijnana Niroda, Vijnana Niroda. Nama Rupa, Salayatana, Pasa Vedana. Wherever, you know, wherever you catch it, the thing ceases. Naroda is at that point. But in terms of the, from the very beginning, the Sakyaditi, don't trust yourself to, to observe. Observe what you think you are. But from this Puto position, not from value judgments, cultural value judgments or anything, but whatever way you are or think you are, whatever you believe in, identities are like this. And so when I, I am Ajahn Sumedho, I have uh, over 40 years as a bhikkhu, not that that's wrong, but that is the perception. There's awareness of it that arises and ceases. That isn't an obsession of my consciousness. You know, it comes and goes. But I can actually believe in it, unquestioningly believe, because on a conventional level it's true. But, on the, but in terms of Dhamma, it's, it is what it is. It's the Pesankara Anicca, it's Anicca. It's anatta. If you keep exploring this, then you suddenly get it, you know, and even though you can understand it in theory and in moments, but if you keep examining like this, you gotta, gotta keep going at it till eventually you have this insight. Yeah, this is it. I know this now. And it's not Sakyaditi knowing anything. It's not knowing through Sakyaditi anymore. It's knowing. Jnana dasana, insight, knowledge. You know, this is uh, encouragement, this retreat. This is my whole aim for doing this is encouraging you. You know, we do need encouragement. It helps a lot because we do get stuck and, and blocked off in, in our conventional roles and, and uh, our emotional feelings. So easy to get kind of stuck in a, in a rut at a dead end or the faith is gone, the interest is gone, the, all you can see is this kind of bleak vision, depressed feelings ahead. So that happens in monastic life as well as in lay life. But in, in terms of, you know, encouragement, it's not to, you shouldn't feel like that, but when, when that feeling arises, there's awareness of it. That's what I encourage you to trust in, to to recognize this is it. This awareness of feeling hopeless is like this. Feeling hopeless is one thing, but awareness of it. So feeling hopeless and depressed is like this. And so then it's like. I'm resting in the awareness of it. This is my refuge rather than being bound into the condition itself. Totally committed believing in the despair of the moment. So this is where we can help each other in, as a community and encouraging each other. Not in a nagging way. <laughs> Just snap out of it, wake up, it's only you. 
in permanent. We can say all the words, so we all know the words in the party line. But this is <laughs> this is to to really encourage rather than to nag or teach each other. We're not trying to teach each other how how we should practice. <laughs> 